I am Plant on the Line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. The story that Danny Asaf tells in his new book, a memoir, say please and thank you and stand in line, is at its heart a Canadian story. It only could have happened here. Over a 100 years ago, Danny's ancestors came to Canada from Lebanon in Edmonton. His great-grandfather is part of a group of Muslims who build the first mosque in Canada. There are marvelous lessons passed down through his family since, including the title of the book. There are lessons Danny has passed on to his children, and now the reader, as it proves a very necessary read when hatred and negative rhetoric seems to uh, pervade our discourse, our politics, and could change our country. One need uh, just look at the United States and how that's turned out. Mr. Asaf's book is full of examples from his life and times that illustrate how great Canada is. He also sets out how there's uh, room for improvement, as it's far from perfect, consider uh, Canada's treatment of the Indigenous throughout our history. There's a chapter in the book where Danny looks at uh, what the media and popular culture can do to be more inclusive and present more positive messages about people of colour. Danny Asaf is a lawyer based in Toronto who specializes in competition law and policy. He and his wife Lisa co-founded Toronto's annual Fast in the Six, a multi-denominational celebration that happens at the end of Ramadan. At Danny Asaf is his Twitter handle. This new book is published by Sutherland House. Please uh, welcome to the Planta on the Line program, Danny Asaf. Mr. Asaf, good morning. Good, good, good morning, uh, Joe. Pleasure to be with you today. Thanks for joining us. Um, there's some marvelous stories in the book, and I, I um, just I, I don't know where to start. I guess um, <laughs> the, the one that I th- that I found quite um, poignant was the one where uh, you ask your father why your name Danny doesn't have another N in it. What did he tell yeah. you? He told me it's spelt right. <laughs> he said, "You go tell those folks they don't know how to spell Danny." <laughs> and uh, you know, it comes out of. Uh, growing up in, uh, he was spent time in Beirut, mm-hmm. and you know the French influence there is strong. So, yeah. uh, Danny Thomas for him, Danny was D A N Y. Yeah. So simple as that. So I had to go around telling people in Alberta in the seventies that uh, I spelled my name right, and you guys got it all wrong. Yeah, I just, I, I just love that 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 um, where he's coming from with that because I mean, who says it's wrong, right? And that's it exactly. Yeah. Um, the the. the um, Another story that I've been thinking about days after I read it is is the one about your grandfather. So he's 53 years old, and he's diagnosed with a brain tumor. And I guess what he was sleeping in the living room that night, and then they they said that um, he died. Yeah, you know the story is extraordinary. Uh, just you know, my story is you know it's a reflection of everybody's story, and uh, why it was important for me to write because yeah. it's a story of many Canadians just told through this uh, different lens and maybe unfamiliar lens of Muslim Canadians. And our family is filled with all kinds of extraordinary things that fate in its way deals to you, good yeah. and bad, yeah. and uh, uh, how, you, how, you, you know, how you approach them and, and how ultimately they're resolved. And my great-grandfather, yes, he was thought to be dead, and they were preparing for his funeral, and uh, and then miraculously, it uh, was not to be. He had another 50, almost 50 years of a rich life to pass on uh, his way and his legacy of understanding and of beauty to me and my 
my family, which now, you know, continues in my kids here in Canada. Yeah, it's just a remarkable story because I guess the, 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 they all go to bed thinking he died, and then in the morning they can hear him, you know, putting or, or putting around in the kitchen or whatever, and um, and it's it's just remarkable as you just said that um, another nearly fifty years left, you know. And nope, you know, the the lesson that I learned from him, among many, was he was never bitter. Mm. He was never angry, and his heart was always open. And he was also always teaching. So even though he lost his sight uh-huh. because of that, he was never able to see again. He lived uh, a full and independent life in the real uh, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual way that always made me believe that uh, there is something to look forward to tomorrow, regardless of what a day deals you. Yeah. And life is precious, and it's what you make of it, and what you can pass on. And you don't need a television station, you don't need uh, to be broadcast around the world to have an impact. The power of your ideas and the power of our personalities is something special and unique in each one of us, and we all have something to offer wherever we are, and it can have an impact broader than your immediate surroundings. And uh, it's always, 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 his example has always inspired me. So after I finished reading your book, Danny, I was thinking, you know, this is a a truly Canadian story, Um, and, um, you know, members of your family uh, have been in this country for... for, for, um, what, 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 almost over a hundred years? Would you say? Yes, almost a hundred years. Yeah, yeah. And 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 it's a story that could only have happened in Canada. And um, the uh, I was quite moved by when you talk in the book about your, I guess it would be your great grandfather and um, one of the, the 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 people in the in the early Muslim community there who who built the first mosque in Canada, not not just in, in Alberta, but in Canada, right? It's such a great history, and it is uh, a, a, really a story of Canada and how it's always had an embrace big enough for us, for everybody. And that's been its defining feature amongst modern nations in the world. And my great-grandfather came to Canada in 1927, mm-hmm. and he followed other Lebanese Muslim immigrants to Alberta uh, at that time. Some had come as early as the late 1800s and uh, made a life here. And they, uh, brought, and they inspired others to come because of the opportunity that Canada represented to them. They could break away from the old world and its structures and its problems. And as proud as they were of their heritage, they knew that they would never be given the opportunity to start fresh and make the absolute most of their potential for them and their families in this place called Canada. So he came here in the 20s, and they uh, were part of a small but thriving community in Alberta where it was clear if you, if you worked hard and you gave back, mm-hmm. you were Albertan, you were Canadian, period. There were no ifs, ands, and buts or buts about that. Mm -hmm. And then within that, like all people, you want to uh, develop a place and space for your life in the fullest way. And, of course, spirituality is important to all of us, to many of us, Mm -hmm. and having a physical space to worship was important, just as important to them as it was to others. So with the help of Christian 
uh, Jewish uh, community members, the political class, uh, uh, all kinds of different social classes, they rallied around this small community, which was incidentally led by very strong women mm. at the time. Uh, one of them, Helwi uh, Hamdan, and there's a school named after her in Edmonton to this day, who rallied folks like the mayor of Edmonton in the 30s. And remember, it was a, that was you know those were hard times. That yeah. was the depression. There mm-hmm. wasn't a lot to go around anyway. And just the symbolism of making time and taking the effort and committing the resources, which all of these people did of, of all backgrounds and faiths in Alberta, to make a place and space uh, more permanent and secure for their Muslim brothers and sisters is, is, is something exceptional. And to think of it, not only the scale of the project at the time, but within the time, mm. to say this is a priority today is something we can all be proud of as Canadians. And the big reason why this country, with its imperfections and with its faults, is such a special place, and in every age and in every generation is something we, in all, all of us, want to contribute to preserving and strengthening and it's our generation in these times to resist the pressures to try to divide us and tear us apart and to make sure the next chapter is the best one yet it's it's a it's a marvelous uh, story of, of your family in 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 the book a, a, a profound one at that danny um but but one that i found quite amusing was um when you talk about how special hockey was to you as a kid, and I'm, I'm sure it's still special to you today, but in in terms of of hockey and and um, the um, why you liked it so and why it was such a part of your life, I mean, it, it made you feel Canadian. That's the other thing that I think will will astonish people that a sport like that can can uh, make you identify with a country. So it does. So you know, when we look at what does belonging mean. So belonging is this idea, and it's uh, a feeling, and it's emotional, and it's legal. I'm a lawyer. It's got all of these aspects to it. But fundamentally, it is also a sense of confidence and identity in, the, in and being secure in the place you occupy in your community. And how do you build those roots? There are many ways to build those roots. And one very strong way in this country to build those roots is through hockey because of what it represents to our own heritage and how much we enjoy it and the attention that it garners. So being a part of that, it is as a matter of reality, it brings you closer to what we call the Canadian identity. And as a matter of life, it teaches you so many things about this country specifically and specially, and also more generally about how we work together to get to the best outcomes. And hockey was always so much fun. It was a way to make peace with the many long winters, uh, beautiful memories that I have of these long Alberta winters with big blue skies where we didn't know any better and we just thought it was a form of paradise because we had this sport that was at one with our, our physical experience. <laughs> and it did bring children together of every background, and it mm. didn't matter where you came from. If you could score a goal or pass the puck or make an assist or defend your teammates, you were the many became one. Mm. 
The many became one on the team. Uh, we became one with our environment, and we saw the stronger we were in building one another up, the more wins we would get as a team. And for a kid, there's nothing better than that. And learning how to work and play with others are lifelong lessons that uh, pay off to this day. As a Canucks fan, or well, uh, <laughs> as, as someone who lives in Vancouver, I guess yeah. I, I, one can't. I guess one can't help but be a Canucks fan. I guess I'm, a, I'm an atheist when it comes to hockey. <laughs> um, who do you? Who are you rooting for th- th- this year? I mean, you, you oh, grew you know, up in Edmonton and you now live in Toronto. I, I wonder what where your allegiance well, lies. I'll tell you, I, I've spent a lot of time just trying to sort things out. One thing that's still hard for me are my hockey loyalties. So I grew up, I grew up, it's funny, I grew up as a Leafs fan because the owners were not in the NHL at the time. Oh, okay. I loved yeah. Daryl Sittler. Mm. I loved Daryl Sittler and watching him, the 10-point game when I was a kid, and being able to enjoy Saturday night, Saturday night hockey was yeah. what we looked forward to every day. But then, of course, this new love entered my life. The Edmonton Oilers and Wayne Gretzky and Paul Coffey and Mark Messier and the magic that that team represented and and as a teenager living physically with that and watching them win and being at a Stanley Cup when they won are things that you know you always identify as part of my home and you know my home home is where the heart is I still cheer for the Oilers I'm smarting today for sure because <laughs> things aren't looking so good but you know what I still have this old love of the Leafs. Yeah. So uh, I've got, I've got, I still got something to look forward to, and I still have both of them to cheer for, and uh, let's hope we see. Uh, well, at the end of the day, <laughs> one of them advance, Indeed. and yeah. uh, we can celebrate here in Canada, like yeah. I talk about in my book, uh, which was an inspiring moment for me when the Raptors won, right. and they were Canada's team, mm-hmm. and coming out to the celebrations here and seeing the hundreds of thousands of people of every background of every color, of every creed, celebrating in the joy of that magical victory and uh, seeing these the modern blue faces of Canada growing to love this new sport and this new team, which represents a lot of our future. And, you know, it's beautiful to see we have the capacity to love the old and love the new. And part of why I think when the best days are ahead for this country, yeah. if we all look for ways to uh, build one another up rather than uh, tear one another apart and letting the forces of division define uh, the future, which is un-Canadian. Yeah, so so the subtitle of your book mentions that, that um, uh, you know, the, the book will be about what makes Canada special and how to keep it that way. Um, what, what do you see, Danny, as some of the urgent threats to the Canada that you celebrate in the book? I think it is this threat of division and new narratives that have replaced our old narratives because there are forces uh, that want to divide us for whatever reason, political, economic, or others, kind of a short-term way. And the fact that uh, in a moment we can all forget what our strengths are when we're uh, maybe scared, when we're unsure, uh, the opportunities that are going to be provided to us and our children and we're looking for direction in this kind of darkness and this fog. And we can get distracted, and we can get misled. But, you know, like in a game, when uh, things get tough, what do you go back to? You go back to your game plan, and you go back to your strengths. And the game plan of this country has always been, for me, in the simple idea that uh, it, 
in Canada, uh, who you are never determines uh, what you can be. We all can live the Canadian dream. And it is a place, like the title in my book, uh, defined by this creed, mm-hmm. we, where we say please and thank you and stand in line. Because not only is that polite and kind to one another, but it's also poetic because it represents a very simple premise, which is in Canada, we all uh, respect and expect to be respected. And there is a fundamental equality in that Mm. that gives us our opportunity to express and be our entire self-worth and for others to see through what is a, a, a appears to them as different or other, and for fundamentally for this country to continue to be the meritocracy that it represents. And we all wake up every single day knowing there are no bounds to where we can end up by the end of the day. And those that threaten that are the ones who are threatening our future. Mm-hmm. And we need to resist that. And one way to resist that is to tell and retell and reaffirm and expand our story and our narrative to make sure that it includes everybody today so that we can all work as one to make the most of the opportunity that the modern world has to offer, which is through technology, it's empowering us all. So we, it's all in our fingertips, at our fingertips. It's in our hands yeah. to take these tools in today's world and to have them deployed and employed in this modern economy and create more wealth and more prosperity and shared prosperity than even our children could have ever dreamt with. And that's, for me, there's the threat in dividing today one another and seeing one another as, as, as certain enemies rather than the potential allies that we are, and the crime in not making the most of the opportunity the modern world has to offer our future generations and breaching the trust that each generation of Canadians has been given and passed on to the next was make sure that you do everything in your power to give the next generation better than we got. Yeah. One of the, we're all on Facebook, we're all on Twitter, and uh, various social media. Um, one of the things that I was thinking about, and you mentioned this in your book about the, uh, the misinformation that, that's out there, um, you spoke a moment ago about the narratives that are causing division in our society. If, if, if we see misinformation online, it's, it, it's, it's our duty uh, as users online, as, as people online, to, to call it out or to report it, right? You're right, Joe. And that's why I talk in the book that this is not the first time we've experienced this phenomenon. Mm-hmm. You know, every time there's a new media uh, introduced in, in history, and I use some just very simple examples, like when radio first sure. uh, came about, and the, the War of the Worlds, and the Orson Welles talked about the invasion of aliens, and people panicked because they didn't appreciate this new medium and the power it has. And over time, we learned, as humans, we adapted on how to deal and interact with that medium. So there are some legal constraints. You can't do certain things on television or public yeah. broadcasting. We learned as well the most important tool, which is buyer beware. Do you listen to everything? Everything that comes across this medium is not truth. It can be intense. It could be a high volume, but it doesn't mean it's true, and it should direct your life. So for us, we are in the midst of this adaptation today where we're hopefully we're going to learn. We're going to have 
some legal parameters on what is appropriate and proper and not. And also, most importantly, we're going to learn how to live with it and know that we don't react to every single thing on social media and that ultimately a few, a few loud voices or persistent voices don't get to define us. Mm-hmm. Fundamentally, we are a democracy in every way. It just doesn't mean every four years going and casting a ballot. It means day to day, how do we define ourselves? And no, a small minority of loud voices do not get to define us. And they do not own the legacy that is Canada. It is ours. It is ours, regardless of what Twitter or Facebook says. And now is our time, and we're all being reminded how precious that is, and the threats that exist, and the opportunity, more importantly, that exists for all of us to see one another as potential allies and not certain enemies, and to harness the power of all of these things, to go back to who we are and who we know we are, and who our history tells us we are, which is captured in my story, Mm -hmm. and the fact that these immigrants came from Lebanon over 100 years ago and set up that first little mosque on the prairie in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada in 1938, and today sits in Fort Edmonton Park as a part of, preserved as a part of the physical history of this great country and that great province. And that is the story we come back to in times of uncertainty and potential darkness to guide us through the few to the future and that light and bright future we all want for us and absolutely want to guarantee for our kids. There's a chapter in the book called Seeing and Being, Being Seen, and, and you talk about the depictions of minorities in the media, popular culture, especially Arabs and Muslims specifically. If you could, Danny, reimagine or rebuild, say, the infrastructure of entertainment in the media, how might that be more inclusive, say? Well, firstly, I would say make it a little more interesting. It's darn boring to see the same stereotypes <laughs> over and over. Mix it up a bit. Isn't suspense part of storytelling? Like, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. Like a good guy, Arab character, a good guy, Muslim character. It's, it's, firstly, it's interesting. It's more entertaining. And secondly, to, from I, how I would reimagine it, I would reimagine a very simple way. Portray the world as it is. Mm. It's as simple as that. I mean, is it true that every single Muslim Canadian or Muslim out of 1.8 billion people is horrible and evil? Is that logical? And then when we think about the reasons why we can hate, and none of us are perfect, and we all make mistakes, and we can all succumb to uh, weakness. But when you hate something you don't know, or hate in an irrational way, the reality is it says more about the hater than the hatee, because it's illogical. And people who hate like that, I can't imagine they go home and they love a lot of other things. Mm. What could they love? Yeah. If your hate is so intense in an illogical way at one other group, what do you love? Or how can you love? And ultimately, you're hurting yourself. So for me, that's how I would reimagine the world, is be, be true to the world as it is, and also be true to yourself. And that ability is ultimately going to benefit you, because if we get up every day, any one of us, and our day is defined or animated by anger at the other, that is what gets me going. Yeah. It means 
I've got a less, lot less happening in my life for that to get me going. There's got to be something more that I can wake up to that's going to give me the peace and the prosperity that I really want. The other thing I've noticed in the last year and a half or so, Danny, and I'm wondering if you've noticed this too, I mean, COVID, the pandemic, you know, it's it's shown a lot of us the, the inequities in our society. Um, you, you just spoke about prosperity. You, you write in the book about competition and how that's a good way to encourage innovation. But 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 it also could mean that, that a lot of success might be, say, inaccessible to a lot of people or, say, groups who are marginalized. So how do we innovate? How do we advance as a, as a society and, and, and carry everybody along that needs to come along with us? Joe, that's a great question. And I see that that threat is also providing, I think, a lot of opportunity for us to reset how we organize our economy. So at a very fundamental level, there are two things I think that are uh, important for us to try to identify and take advantage of and harness. First, I alluded to earlier, which is the technology has enabled and empowered so much. So I say that the tool, as a competition lawyer, I look at how markets evolve and why people can enter markets and how they can succeed. And there's a concept there called barriers to entry, which is really what you're getting at. There's a barrier to entry in that market. I have the best idea. I have the best mousetrap. I can't get it to the market. But what technology has done is it's democratized the tools of productivity. So you and I, what you do every day is an example of that. You don't need to ask permission. You don't need as many intermediaries to get your, your beautiful conversations and those beautiful messages and those important ideas out to the world. So think of how we expand that to include everybody. And like in the past, it doesn't mean you're guaranteed success, but we're guaranteed opportunity. The second thing to keep in mind is this idea that we need to reorganize our economic model, which is in the past we focused on industry. Today we need to focus on the individual. Mm. So historically we wanted a big car plant to open. We wanted a big manufacturing plant to open. But we all know those days are not, they're gone. No one's going to come and open up a plant that has, you know, 50,000 people, 10,000 people, whatever it may be. But the each one of us is an economic engine with these new tech, tools of technology. And how do we empower the individual to go back, really, to what, how our country started and the individual entrepreneurial spirit of my family and many others who found themselves in the middle of Alberta in the 1920s mm-hmm, and were given an opportunity to take what they knew and their energy and turn it into an enduring future for their generations, and we have to make sure that is reinvented today for everybody, for this 21st century economy, so that everybody can see a path to that prosperity for them and their families. So that's where I see there is, when you identify this this crisis, when we identify this need, that's when we, we go back and say, well, how do we harness our strengths and the tools that we have around us to turn that challenge into the opportunity it truly is. And the way the world is organized today, a country, even relatively small, with 38 million people, but 38 million people who are educated and are empowered, and also from diverse places around the world, and each one of us represents a connection, almost a sales agent 
to every single corner of the globe, the power of that to create wealth for the next generation relative to what we've seen in the past is extraordinary to me. So you, you, you recount in the book the, your family's story and, and um, th- this life of service that you lead today, and I'm not just talking about Fast in the Six, but uh, other things that you do in, in your community and throughout the country, um, suggests to me that um, there might be more for you. Um, I'm sure you're asked this all the time. Did you, the job that you have now, is that the one that you're going to have, say, down the line? <laughs> you know, we have so many beautiful friends and family and neighbors who uh, are so been encouraging me my whole life. I mean, you don't get to do anything significant or meaningful in life without that support. And I always find that very flattering when people say, is there more you can contribute? Mm-hmm. And the answer is, you know, wherever any of us, whatever we can touch to make better, and we're given that opportunity, uh, we hope we will make the most of it and try to push Canada in the best direction we can <laughs> on this never-ending project of making it even more perfect for each uh, each generation going forward. We'll see what the future holds. Yeah, so I guess it's not just telling your story. It's um, it, because as I finished the book, I, I thought, no, there, there's more that he, he wants to do. Um, and... Um, Whatever arena that is, I mean, you you will continue the the, the the wonderful work you've done over the years, right? There's no doubt. Yeah. Like all of us, like you, like me, like so many other beautiful Canadians, uh, our work to give back to this great country, and like with all with its imperfections and all that still needs to be done, is still a privilege. It's a privilege, and we will never be complacent about what this country is and what represents. And we will never let good enough be good enough. And we all want to make sure that the future is even brighter for our kids, every single one of us. And uh, you hope fate brings you together, like it's brought us together, to join hands with all kinds of Canadians in ways that maybe we can't even imagine today, uh, to push things uh, to the brightest, the brightest future yet. Uh, it's, it's really uh, an incredible time we live in. And uh, I am confident we are going to see a future that is even brighter than uh, uh, our ancestors and our forefathers and foremothers could have imagined. Danny, it's been such a pleasure to speak to you today. Continue good luck with this book. I appreciate your time. It's my pleasure, Joe. Thank you for the uh, honor of being, uh, being able to speak to you. And uh, let's hope we see... Uh, a Canadian team won the Stanley Cup. How about we leave it off at that? <laughs> we, we, that we can agree on, yes. <laughs> there you go. At Danny Asif is the Twitter handle. The book is called Say Please and Thank You and Stand in Line. It's published by uh, Sutherland House. It's author Danny Asif. Join me on the line from Toronto and Vancouver. I'm Joseph Plunto.